0: Good morning, everyone. Good morning. My friends, uh, in looking at our scriptures for today—our first reading, our second reading, our third reading—they um, uh, have a little bit of difference. That they talk about some things, but they also have something in common. And one of the things that each one of them are doing are capturing moments of some type of spiritual awakening, of an epiphany, uh, certainly of conversion. Uh, And they happen in three different locations and in three different ways. It happens in the temple, a place of worship to God. It happened on a dusty road, for them a highway. And the other happened on a beach amongst boats. The first reading takes place in the Jerusalem temple. And it is a place of glory to God where prayers offered to him. It's a place of rituals and sacrifices. It's filled with incense and the sound of beautiful chants giving glory to God. There we find a young Isaiah. He has a vision of the holiness of God Almighty. And this will impact and change the course of Isaiah's life. In that vision, he realizes that not only the temple, but the whole world is filled with God's glory. There we read, the earth is filled with His glory. And there uh, we are told, uh, we hear about the seraphim. My and sister's quick note: Seraphim uh, are the highest of the heavenly creation, and their role, as we understand it, is to they face, they look upon the face of God all Day and all night, and they, as Isaiah heard, they say, Holy, holy is the Lord God. And the book of Revelation talks about them also. And this is where it became challenging for me because the cherubim, uh, the seraphim, never leave the presence of God, they never take their face off of Him. They look at Him all the time. I'm like, Whoa, 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 wait a minute, how is it that Isaiah gets one of them? Yeah, and uh, the, the, they're bringing a coal, you know, because Isaiah said, I'm not worthy, and so. God sends a cherubim. Okay, here, let me handle this for you because that sense of unworthiness and the sinfulness in the prayer. Isaiah um, finds out God is not just the God of a temple, in the temple, but he is the God of all time. He is the God of all history. He is the God of all that will ever be, the future. He is the God of all world events, religious, political And otherwise. You see, my friends, our scriptures are filled with prophets of God, as people today would say, interfering in politics. It's not interfering. The scriptures are filled with religious people, holy people, influencing nations and their political ways. My friends, for the next half century, Isaiah is sent to proclaim God's words, to rulers of nations, kings, governors, presidents. For the rest of his life, Isaiah will demonstrate God at work, not just in individual lives, but in the events of world history. He will speak out not only about personal morality, but also about public morality in Israel's national and international dealings. God is present not just in the soul, but everywhere. That is the truth about God that Isaiah carried all his life. It is the truth that he spoke to everyone that God sent him to. My friends, in the second reading, Paul, in his letter to the Corinth faith community, recalls his experience Of the Lord God. That experience is different from that of Isaiah from the first reading. Paul encounters the Lord on a dusty highway on the way to Damascus to beat up Christians. Paul, a devout, if not extremist Pharisee of his time, persecuted Christians. And then, as Paul would write, and you can read it, for some unknown reason, a reason that he would not fully understand. He has a con- And from that conversion, and from that epiphany, then he is given a mission. He is called to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, the very person in whose people he is persecuting. On that dusty road, that highway, His life changed forever. He became, of all things, an apostle of Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God. Paul experienced forgiveness. He experienced redemption. Then he experienced mission. And it was, as Paul would write so emphatically all the time, gift it was all grace there was nothing that he had done to deserve it it was gift as paul would put it and he would speak this over and over and over again paul told the ephesians and the galatians and the romans and the philippians everyone he met anyone who would listen to him about the gift and grace of redemption and salvation he would say, you do not earn it. It is given to you. That is the essence the, about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Remember, Paul didn't know Jesus of Nazareth. Paul experienced the risen Christ, so he spoke about what he experienced. He spoke of what he knew. And what he knew was of this risen Jesus Christ, the one who knocked him off his horse, blinded him, Yeah, he didn't get a burning coal. (laughs) And my friends, um, Paul would say, you will be purified. Paul, he's a Pharisee. He understands the Torah, the Old Testament. He knew all about Isaiah. So he would say, you will be purified and made whole, but not by your effort. It will be by the grace of God and his paschal sacrifice and his resurrection. That is the truth that St. Paul carried in his life. That is the truth and the glory of God that he spoke to everyone he would encounter. In the gospel, an event happens not in the temple like Isaiah and not on a dusty road like St. Paul, but at a beach. Comrades, we are told, we're working all night. And Jesus tells Peter eventually to go out into deep water to catch fish. Peter has heard of this Jesus. He's a rabbi. Peter, at first, I suspect, is not all that moved by the command of this rabbi. Because Jesus is not a fisherman. He doesn't look like a fisherman. He doesn't smell like a fisherman. He doesn't talk like a fisherman. He doesn't act like a fisherman. If he was, he wouldn't tell him to go out fishing during the day. Fish are caught at night. And they were just coming in from that night fishing with empty nets. But Peter did as this rabbi asked, this Jesus of Nazareth. As crazy as it sounded to Peter, he did it. And they caught two boatloads of fish. They were at a seashore. He had an epiphany, he had a conversion. And from there, his life changed forever. From there, he was given a mission. Jesus said, now you will fish after men. Later, when he was head of the church, Peter would recall vividly that daytime experience, that daytime catch of fish, and that whatever his failings or limitations were, his power came from the fact that he was obedient to the Lord Jesus Christ. He knew that whatever our limitations are, if we are faithful to Christ and obedient to him, he will use us as he used him to further the kingdom. My friends, God will always love you because that is what God does. God is love. But if you are disobedient, there will be no blessing. People think, well, yeah, no." Some things are black and white, and some things are not. This is black and white. Disobedience will never be blessed. It will be loved, because God loves. Peter's showing us, he thought, oh, I don't know what this rabbi's telling me, but I'm just going to do it. And then he saw in that obedience the blessing come forward. And that is the truth that Peter carried his whole life. And that is the truth that Peter spoke about always. So we see a temple, a place of worship, a highway, and a seashore. We hear about Isaiah, we hear about Paul, and we hear about Peter. Three different types of people, three different experiences of the glory of God. What they learned of God from that moment impacted and changed their lives for all time. And it was something that they brought to others. God did all that for others in them. You are the disciples today, you who are baptized. Can it not be true then of each of you, disciples? that you also have an experience of the glory of God, that you are to take to others. Maybe it's his mercy you've experienced. Maybe it's somewhere. These spiritual epiphanies and conversions and awakenings come in different forms and at different times. Today, our world cultures can induce spiritual apathy in the baptized. But then something happens. Maybe it is an illness. Maybe it is the death of a loved one. Maybe it is the birth of a child. Maybe it is when that man or that woman encounter what the world calls their soulmate. And then you experience that awakening in the spiritual realm to the deeper part of the very existence of the Holy One, God. If you keep looking for a burning bush that Moses got, you're going to be disappointed. That was for him. The seraphim for Isaiah. The getting blinded on the road to Damascus for Paul. Peter the fish. But my friends, if we look deeply, we will see that the Holy One has always been talking to us. He's always been there. These spiritual events, they come in different forms for each of us. Perhaps for some of you, it will be at church as with Isaiah. Maybe, maybe. For some of you, it will come when Your plans are interrupted as St. Paul's plans were interrupted. Remember, he was on his way to go beat up some Christians. (laughs) God stopped him, (laughs) intervened. It might come when the Lord does an unexpected, amazing thing through your humble obedience to his word, especially when it is difficult for you, as with St. Peter. My friends, one of the things that connects all of them together, these three from our readings, is they all had a sense of unworthiness. They had a sense of sinfulness before the very presence of God to which God handled it. He took care of it for them and then sent them on their mission. But the other thing that, everything that God did for Isaiah, for Paul, for Peter, he did for you. For the others, It was not just for them. It wasn't, as I would say, it is not for them. God did it to reach the others. It is also for the others and, of course, for the greater glory of God that God did this for them. It reminds in the Scriptures there's an account of a man who was healed by Jesus and then who wanted to follow him. But our Lord tells him, Go home instead to your family and let them see the goodness that God has done for you in your life. And this will lead them to him. At some point in our life, each of us is given the grace and the experience of the glory of God. That experience has within it a truth of God that you are to bring to others because they need to hear it. And just as we are told, Peter calls out, help me, help us with this. So we are to help. As with Isaiah, St. Paul, and St. Peter, in whatever way God touches your lives and awakens you in that spiritual realm, it too will change your life for all time and time. If willing, if willing, it'll allow you to bring someone to Christ. My friends, what I'm about to tell you, I'm speaking very carefully um, because I don't want it to be misunderstood. I rarely share my vocation story. I keep it to myself because I have my reasons for it. I gave examples of three men from the scriptures, their experience and how they led to others, and that's really good. But standing in front of you is also one of them. Your pastor, who has experienced the glory of God, and not for me, but for you. Being a priest is not about me or for me, but for you. As a matter of fact, you know I ran away. And I kept thinking, God, you know where I have been, what I have said, and what I have done. Right? (laughs) How can it be that you'd want me to be a priest? no seraphim, no charcoal, no dusty road. I'm happy with that. (laughs) No fish. But uh, I believe a point came in my life where it was a crossroads and a decision had to be made by me. You know that I thought I was supposed to be a priest since I was little, and then I wouldn't do it, and then I ran away, and blah, 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 on blah, 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 on and And then, on one Sunday, sitting at St. James Cathedral, waiting for Mass, the sacristan came out and announced, there is no priest available, there is no Mass. At the cathedral. I was sitting in the pew, and it is... 20 years later, and I could take each one of you and I'll show you exactly where I sat, what pew it is. I can tell you what time it was. Because it changed my life forever. Sitting there and the, a woman walked past me and she said, what are you going to do about it? And I thought to myself, you don't know me. i me getting up in my business now. I'm here now. <laughs> You know, and I just sat there, I thought, I oh, know she ain't talking to me. <laughs> I turned to look at her. She wasn't there. What I'm telling you is that a woman walked past me and said, what am I going to do? What are you going to do about it? That's all I'm saying. I immediately that week called the vocations office, and before I knew it, all the doors were open, and I was moving so quickly, my head was spinning. I actually had to tell them, slow down, slow down, slow down, and here I am, a priest. This past week, I shared with someone who I love and um, respect a little bit about my past, Doctor, which I felt bad about because I didn't want to scandalize him, um, but he'll hear the remnants of this in my homily. I'm going to be very careful about what I'm about to say. I'm your pastor and I'm your shepherd, and I have a crucial role, but I am not better than you, nor am I worse than, well, maybe. I'm not talking about the priest. The priesthood is holy. I'm talking about Mark. Maybe I am. What I do is not more important or less important than you. And I've got to be careful because the parishioner at the last mass said, Father, I disagree with you. You are the most important in this community. I have a crucial role. What I do is different. But it all matters to God. This cantor, she sings and gives glory to God, but maybe it's one of her hymns, her voice, that resonates within your heart and causes you to experience. You see what I'm getting at? It matters. It is important. The lectors, they proclaim the word of God to you, and maybe that moves you. You see what I'm getting at? Um, I, I felt terrible when the parishioner said that to me. I don't mean to repeat you, Father, but that's not true. You are important. You're more important than I'm like. The world sees me that way, absolutely. And the priesthood, there is no Eucharist without us. All of that. What I'm saying is I am not more important or less important than you, the disciple. What I do is different. Yes, but what you do matters also. So, doctor, what you do, your presence to to your patients and how you bring God to them, matters. It matters to God. And that experience will lead them. As I hope, as your pastor, I lead you to him. Mom and dad, husband and wife. Your role as husband and wife matter. You are to witness to the world, I've been telling you for eight years as your pastor, what you say and what you do matters. You either testify to him or you do not. You either bring them to him or you are pushing them away by what you say and what you do. If you claim to be his follower, but you live a life that is contrary to that, you scandalize one of his beloved ones who he's trying to get you to bring to him. So I'm not more important or less, and what you have to do in your role, your mission, is important to God as husband, as wife, as mother, as father, as brother, as sister, as teacher, as catechist. Taking care of the hall matters to God, Brenda. And you bring that truth of God about taking care of the temporal to people. You see, it matters. It all matters to him. What you say and what you do. He has given you something. No, he hasn't. Yes, he has. You're just looking for the burning bush. So reflect today on this. Be those disciples. Let him use you to bring others to him for his glory. Amen?